Hey everyone, this is Cameron from Renegade Animation on RenegadePopCulture.com. If you like what we do, please give us a like, a follow, and a rating on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to us. We are everywhere. Or come support our newly launched Patreon. That way, we can keep doing what we love, and that's talking about animation. For now, on with the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host for this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And we got a pretty chill episode today. We are reviewing Netflix's The Magician's Elephant and their new interactive special, We Lost Our Human. And by the way, this is a casual reminder that we are not, in fact, sponsored by Netflix. It's just one of those episodes. Yeah, I can't help it when Netflix, for the most part, puts out a lot of the stuff that we cover. Except for April. They, they kind of left us bone dry in April, but that's another topic for another time. <laughs> yeah, so their first animated film out of the gate for this year is directed by Wendy Rogers with a screenplay by Martin Hines, which is based off of the book The Magician's Elephant by Kate De Camilo, who's also the author of The Tale of Despero. And if you remember that film from the mid 2000s, my hat's off to you. We follow a young boy named Peter, voiced by Noah Jupe, who is being raised by a veteran guardian, like a soldier and such, in this town that used to have magic but now has none. One day, all across the other side of town, a magician played by Benedict Wong accidentally brings an elephant to the city that then dominoes into a story of the boy trying to find his lost sister, what actually happened to her, and why this elephant is here. We jokingly have talked about last year where Netflix put out a lot of like amazing animated films in a row, like The Sea Beast, Wendell and Wild, My Father's Dragon, Pinocchio, the Del Toro one. It was going to be interesting to see what the first film out of the gate for them would be. That's not like some anime film that they got the rights to and what have you. For here, while this might be another animated film produced by Animal Logic, do not go expecting a film as grand of scale as The Sea Beast. This is a very smaller scaled film. It takes place all within this one town, It's definitely more focused on the journey of our characters dealing with finding the possible within impossible situations. That's a very good message, especially lately when thing when the world seems a little bit less, I guess, magical. It's one of those movies that comes out during the right time, even if it's unintentional. It's definitely a film that follows a more fairy tale execution in its story. It's not going to use real world logic with its premise and such. It's more just how does this boy solve the puzzles given to him by the king, who's voiced by Asif Manvi, who I thought was great. Oh yeah. That's really it. It's just he has to face 
an impossible force, which was a guard played by Tom Kenny. And then he has to find a way to fly in a world and time period where flying is impossible and to bring laughter to someone who doesn't smile. I want to talk about the visual presentation first. What did you think about the visual look of the film? I think the backgrounds and the the way that magic is presented looks a lot better than the actual character designs, which I guess I can understand because the director, Wendy Rogers, has a pretty extensive background in visual effects. I don't know. There's, I'm not saying the character designs are like bad or unappealing. They just aren't as consistently great as some of the other elements in the film. I think the biggest problem is the texture quality of the film. Like in some regards, it looks like they're going for a painted look on everything. But then when you see the movements in certain sequences, like the fight with the soldier, it feels like there was some either rendering or compositing or just something that made it look a little clunkier than other films made by the studio. And who knows? I wish there was like some kind of confirmation of what the budget was for this, because it feels like it had a smaller budget compared to the other animated films that Netflix poured money into. And I like the human designs. I just think the visual quality of the CGI is what's lacking because they look creative. I think there are some fun designs here and there, but something about the buildings is distracting to me. It's a fairly empty world that they live in, except for a few crowd shots. I kind of noticed that too. There's a lot of negative space in these scenes that should have more people. Now, maybe this is just a town that's not all that populated, but still, you want to have a little bit more life in the frame. I just think there should have been more magic put into the visual flair. Like the clouds are probably the most consistent thing that looks great because of that. Just they look like little pillows, like little bread rolls that have like just filled the sky and such. Like I said, who knows what the actual budget of this was. I wish I could say like, oh, I know everything. No, it's just assumptions and I'm happy to be proven wrong. There's just something off about it and it's hard to explain unless you actually watch it and then compare it to other animated films that are on the service there are still appealing aspects of it i do like the voice cast i think there are some fun choices here like mandy patinkin brian tyree henry sion clifford kirby hal batiste and they already mentioned asif manvi and there's miranda richardson pixie davies and Natasha Demetriou is the fortune teller and narrator of this film. And then there's also like Tom Kenny shows up and Phil Lamar is there as well. The budget thing kind of comes up also with just how many actors play like different roles here. Like a lot of the background actors are either Phil Lamar or Tom Kenny. John DiMaggio does show up, but otherwise it's mostly like the same handful of people. It's like when you hear the stories about the Elder Scrolls for Oblivion, where it's just like, oh yeah, here are like five amazing celebrities that they got. And then they milked that by having them 
voice multiple different characters, even if they're just like non-playable characters within the same world. Or the early Dragon Ball dubs where Chris Sabat was like half the cast. The elephant itself. Yeah, it doesn't get a lot of screen time. And it's mostly supposed to be like a parallel to Peter's story. But I don't think the elephant's all that interesting. I get why it's there. It's more of a symbolic thing for with the story because it's like, here's something possible and something that sounds impossible of an elephant showing up in this town. And then just how it builds upon her missing her family in the same way as Peter is missing his family. But I think it gets more interesting plot-wise when they start expanding upon the backstory of the characters. Like Mandy Patinkin's character, Vilna Lutz, the soldier. Yeah, he's strict and a bit over the top in that regard. But you understand that like he's living with the regret that he thinks the sister is dead and... He's taking it out on Peter when it's not his fault, but he feels like it's his fault. Like he's guilty of the separation and such. Once we actually got to his flashback scene, I definitely liked his character a lot more. I already liked the casting. I think Manny Patinkin does a great job with the voice. It's just, it's hard to tell how to feel about the character like when he's first introduced. I'm going to, I don't know if this will be a controversial opinion or not i didn't like the fortune teller or the narrator i think what bugs me about this movie is it feels like i'm being talked down to Hmm. because the narrator i think her dialogue is a little too modern for a magical world and then with the third act It just like, oh, the slow motion and then like walking through everyone to solve the issue. It kind of comes off like she just solved the issue that should have been solved by Peter, like with the whole elephant sneezing. I mean, what did you think about that aspect? Because to me, I feel like this movie would have been better without the narration. Just like let the visuals show me what's going on. Let me see the story unfold. Do not tell me about what's unfolding in front of me. That is kind of the problem you run into with narrators who also happen to be like visible characters in the story. The narrator either has to be completely unhinged and mostly for like comedic effect, or you just have to be like consistent with how the narrator is used. I don't think they fully grasped how to use a narrator in this movie because then you run into problems like what you described. Like, I liked more the side characters than the main ones. Like, I liked Leo Martine, who's played by Brian Tyree Henry, and Gloria Martine, voiced by Sion Clifford, who I think they had a more interesting story. But <laughs> the problem is, it's not their movie. It's the boys' movie. And I think Peter is a fairly bland character. It's like everything else in the movie has to pick up the pace a little and a magician it's not like the magician owns the elephant he he was just trying to bring smiles and wonder and joy back into a lifeless world and then just accidentally (laughs) summon an elephant out of nowhere and i thought benedict wong did a good job i wish the magician was because he's throughout 
a majority of the runtime in jail. One thing that is kind of funny about Benedict Wong's casting in this is he's kind of playing completely against type, where in the MCU, he is the Sorcerer Supreme, where here, he can't even pull a rabbit out of his hat. And like I said, I think some of the side characters are more interesting. I love that the king is not just a straight up villain. That's one thing I do like about the story. The struggle and the stakes are of Peter finding out about his sister. And the king could have easily just been like, I want the elephant to rule the world or some kind of silly nonsense. But the king is just like a very energetic man child in some regards, not in an unlikable way, but just like, I want to see something I haven't seen before, which fits in with the theme of finding wonder and magic in a, well, a magicless town and such. I don't think this movie would have worked at all if they had like a traditional villain. I think the king's role is exactly what this movie needed. The countess is also a solid character. She doesn't do much but like i liked kirby hal baptiste's performance of her and like she's likable enough like i said i feel like i'm having a hard time trying to find things that i like about the movie even though i'm not like hating this movie i don't hate it part of me is wondering like if this is me putting too much of a elevated standard of like what netflix can do in a time period as of right now where Netflix is not going to pull off another 2022 lineup year of animated films. And I feel like part of that disappointment of the company and such is being taken out on this film for me. And I just don't feel like that's fair to it. It's a real solid family-friendly film. And it's definitely like for younger audiences, which is fine. I think making a film for a specific group of individuals is okay. It just feels like there's a lack of polish with the story and the visuals. And like, I still recommend it. And it's still doing well, mostly because we are in a drought right now of major theatrical animated releases. That is true. But the fact is, I loved Ernest and Celestine, A Trip to Gibberishia more than this movie. By the end of the year, I don't quite see it staying in my top 10 in terms of animation. I see it maybe top 20 or top 30, but top 10, I don't know. Like, I recommend watching this movie. It's got a lot of charm. It's got enough energy and spirit to make it a worthwhile watch. I am just wasn't as in love with it as I wish I was. And I see a lot of people love this movie, and I think that's great. I just wish I was up there with everyone else. And that sucks. I don't want to come off like the grouch of the people who still like this movie, but are finding it hard to be like, okay, why do you love this movie? I think I'm somewhere in between those who like love, love it. And those who are a bit more mixed on it. I'll even admit, I kind of graded this on a curve because this is Wendy Rogers's directorial debut so there is going to be some scrappiness in terms of the execution compared to i'm not trying to compare these two specifically but the sea beast has a more seasoned director at the helm 
and I know that's incredibly unfair, pit these two against each other, but I think the stuff that works, like the themes, the overall narrative, like that is all worthy of a recommendation. I think you and I are just a little bit more critical of the technical stuff, how it's put together. Yeah, I think it's more just an issue of execution of the overarching story. Because Adele, the sister, you can see it a mile away. There's no mystery or wonder about who she is. I do think this film wasn't given an animation budget that was similar to others. I think this is more of like a mid-budget animated film. Somewhere in the double digits, but not in the triple digits. And no, not every film needs to look like a Disney or Pixar film on a visual level. There are plenty of animated films from around the world and that are on Netflix that are still highly enjoyable, even on a smaller budget. The budget is not the de facto issue here. It's more the execution of it. But even then, it's still a really solid movie. I still very much enjoyed it. I've laughed a couple times. The side characters were very likable. But I am curious to see how the other animated films Netflix has coming out differ in terms of execution and experience. Like we're recording this like a week out from the Mario Brothers being released in theaters. So if you're looking for an animated film to watch and enjoy with your family or young kids and find something like the Sea Beast to be a little too daunting for them, definitely give this one a watch. All right. With that, we move on to probably one of the coolest interactive specials that Netflix has done. We Lost Our Human. Yeah, this is the third one we've talked about. The first one we actually delve into was, oh yeah, The Cat Burglar. And that one was fun, but definitely a Dragon's Lair level experience that... Definitely has its limited replayability, unless you're just absolutely there for the Tex Avery-style cartoon antics. But it was still good. Battle Kitty, I loved a lot more, even though a lot of people found the interactive aspects of it to be lacking, because it was just basically fancy DVD menus, in terms of just like taking the characters to the next skit or the next story-based episode but here with we lost our human it takes the best of both the cat burglar and battle kitty like you have the absurd and weird humor of battle kitty and the antics and comedy style of the cat burglar in this one and if the visual style looks distinct it's because it's by curtis lelash the special is directed by Chris Garbutt, and he was also the creator of the Netflix series Pinky Malinky, which is more of a, I don't think it's obscure per se. I think a lot of people have, know about it, but mostly through out of context clips. The premise of We Lost Art Human is basically about a dog and a cat named Pud and Ham. Pud is voiced by Ben Schwartz, and Ham is voiced by Io Adibri. And Io is, by the way, having like a killer year, and especially just like outside of like animations and such, because not only is she in the upcoming Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, she's also going to be in Clone High. 
She's the replacement of Jenny Slate as Missy for Big Mouth. And of course, she's also in the critically acclaimed The Bear drama series that's on FX. I think she is great as Ham. She brings a very like hyper puppy energy to the character that needs to be there. And she works well off of Ben Schwartz, who once again, Ben, you are voicing a character that is blue. (laughs) I don't know how you get stuck with that kind of typecasting, but I find that humorous. I hope it never stops. So basically the two animals like love their human, but they compete with one another, mostly because Pud wants to be the only one who gets attention from the human. After an accident where a bunch of chili gets spilled on to this electrical grid inside the apartment, all the humans disappear. So it's up to Ham and Pud, along with IT, to go through multiple dimensions and find a way back to their dimension with their human. What did you think about this interactive special? And well, like, what does it do right in your eyes what it does right is gives you kind of the full interactive experience even the creators compared this to bandersnatch from a few years ago in that you have the option to pretty much tell your own story given the various choices and i think the way they execute it here is really well done it's expansive and you've probably seen the Images going around by Chris about the multiple paths that you can take. And apparently there's over like 8,000 different variations of what can happen. Even though there are basically a handful of endings for each character. Because the thing that happens like in how it's executed for those who have not tried this special out. Is you either play or you know quote unquote play as ham or pud and depending on who you choose the outcome in the various encounters and dimensions that you go through will alter how the story is told except for a few story beat moments that are going to be there no matter what there's a lot more variety in outcomes that take center stage with your decision making it feels a lot more like those games that actually built their whole experience around multiple choices and such than just like a game that's just like oh here's a you can choose whatever choice you want but the it doesn't really matter and such but here it's rather impressive and a little intimidating how many choices there are i'm not even convinced that i got all of them but i feel like i have at least experienced the full point A to point B. And something that I do like as far as like all of the variations is there are still at least three different fixed points. One, the chili. Two, getting to the center of the universe. And then three, eventually they find human. Like through Ham's experience, they learn about the solution to just turning it on and off. Ain't that the whole technical solution to everything? Just turn it off, turn it back on, and then we'll go from there. It's very cool that they've made 
this one so diverse. It's rather impressive because you can go through playing as Ham and Pud and not have a single familiar or retreaded experience. It's like it would be very tempting to just find out who will be the first person to say like, okay, if you want to go to here or go to this ending, you can do this, this, or that. The fact that like when you see those photos on Twitter, it's like, dang, (laughs) they went hard on the interactive special angle of this, but they still find a way to keep a compelling story and like having arcs that our characters go through, like Ham learning to be more patient Pud learning to not be so selfish. And do you find yourself like even with all of the different variations of what goes on and like all the decisions and such, do you still like find the growth of the characters happening or do you feel like kind of abrupt at points depending on what decisions you make? Like you're going to get Um, to this point no matter what. It's just how you get there. I guess it does kind of depend on the choices that you make. But from my experience, maybe I I just have like a natural sense of how a story is supposed to work. But I kind of felt like I was choosing options that kind of led to a compelling arc for these characters. Not on purpose, because I kind of went into this blind without any sort of like guide to help me through but i don't know the from my experience i feel pretty satisfied with the arcs that i've created yeah i do too there are some moments where it's like oh the characters get separated and then they learn something like off screen that can be a little distracting only because who knows what scenarios they went through to get to that point but the overarching journey that the two animals take is satisfying and that helps when a lot of the like voice cast and the characters are interesting and fun like this special has a very quirky sense of humor that can go from super silly to dark at the drop of a dime Mm -hmm. like i know a lot of people are fixated on the cameos that are in this special like For example, the two cameos that most people are like falling head over heels for are on Pud's side. We're not going to tell you how you get to them, but depending on a few things, you can either run into Orc and Kitty from Battle Kitty, or Pud will end up in the Centaur world where he gets chased around by Glendale and Megan Nicole Dong shows up again to reprise her role. And I think that's very cool because sometimes with Netflix, there's like a lot of disconnects between the shows and the and like everything that's on the service. This is one of the first times that I've seen something from Netflix that feels like, oh yeah, we love the animation side of the service, even though Netflix right now is... Sh- not really showing that love. Yeah. I am kind of curious how those two shows were the ones handpicked for cameos, probably because they share at least some similar writers or something in between, but it would be cool to see some other shows make an appearance. Well, and it's interesting because I feel like Pud got the majority of them, or at least from what I have encountered from my playthrough 
of the character because Ham gets like the only one that he gets is Panky Malanky from the creator's previous show. So I'm wondering why did Ham get just the one compared to Pud getting, I'm not going to say the more interesting one cameos. It's just the ones that people are on Twitter being like, oh my gosh, I wish I didn't get the Centaur World cameo spoiled before I encountered it. Not because of you, but just on Twitter because like Twitter has no uh, like spoiler thing. So you have to <laughs> just go on there and just be ready to look away and such. But I did love the interconnectivity and how they fit into the zaniness and the world of we lost our human. They didn't feel out of place. Not at all. Battle Kitty could fit in with we lost our human and centaur world is probably its own like universe and dimension in that world. It was a little bit of a bummer. No one else reprised their roles from the centaur world one, but that's also because I loved centaur world and it's two parts and such. I wish there was more (laughs) and I just love that we did get more and it was probably the loudest I laughed because of how kleptomaniac Glendale gets about the cat or as she calls it the fur baby (laughs) (laughs) and how it goes from like just a huge chase sequence and then ends up on like a windows desktop at one point it's a really fun interactive experience that actually does warrant replayability you just don't quite know what you're going to get and i actually like the visual look of this special i know some people had a mixed reaction to panky malanky and what have you but i'm not really too critical of art styles it's more i'm critical of the execution of said styles and i think cam is super adorable looking and pud looks like so many cats i've seen just yep when you've done 15 years of volunteering at an animal shelter you've seen cats like pud <laughs> I thought Ben and Io had very good chemistry with one another. And there's find that their arcs have a solid enough feeling of progress where it's not just like super abrupt when they have to get to this point. Like, what did you think of like the overall cast? I think the cast is a lot of fun. Io and Ben definitely feel like they're brother and sister. Not just in like the way they like bicker and argue, but once they actually embark on this adventure, you know, they're still not necessarily on the same side, but they are still kind of looking out for each other. That's what makes the end of their arcs like that much more impactful because we know what they've been through. We've seen them at their lowest point, And at the end of the day, we just want to see them reunited with their family. Exactly. And the resident voice cast is great as well. You have Henry Rollins, who plays the Bacon Witch. Lucas Granbeal returned as Panky Malanky. Adrian C. Moore is a human. I wish the human had a name, per se, but I get it too. The animals, she's just called human. Lauren Tom is IT. 
Yeah, and then you have like Matty Carter-Ropple, who's the hairball. John Glaser, is, he shows up in Pud's campaign. And I was having the hardest time pinpointing who it was. But then when I saw the photo of him, it's like, oh, he plays that guy from Parks and Rec in the later seasons. And of course, a lot of other things. But it, it's always fun we can pinpoint who who the characters are and such. There's Dara Fazal, who's the cat shopkeeper. There's Vargas Mason, who plays the dino chef. I love the little Great British Baking Show parody that happens, whether it's just like, if you don't make the best dish ever, you're going to get launched into a volcano. And it's like, geez. Or there's like Matt Lazell, who reprises Battle Kitty. And Nick Arciaga. I thought was a lot of fun as the universal computer voice. I like that casting a lot. I did feel very invested throughout the whole time. And I wasn't just kind of glazed over like choosing what to do and what have you. Like that a lot of these multiple choices can do. It's just cool that Netflix greenlit something like this. And yet they're probably not going to do something like this ever again depending on where they are right now as a company and such, because I would love, I would love to own this on like a Blu-ray or something to play with my nephew or something just to see his reactions and what he chooses and what have you. That'd be fun to own some of these like interactive specials, kind of like when you were younger and you play those like computer games for young readers and stuff. Yeah, or like a lot of those when CDs were becoming big in gaming and they wanted to do like live action footage and then you'd have to like do the whole Dragon Slayer thing. Like there's an audience for that kind of stuff and it's always kind of cool to see what people do with the concept of it being interactive and what have you. I don't really have that many criticisms for the special. I think sometimes depending on decisions you make the abrupt moments of just like where the story is going to unfold of them finally like feeling bonded as siblings is weird but you know like as friends can feel a little like oh okay but otherwise i don't have that much else to criticize i guess the only criticism i have is really just what you said sometimes there can be a bit abrupt shift between like different scenes Otherwise, I thought this was a pretty well put together experience. It's always something on Netflix that surprises me the most, not because I'm on that hate train of Netflix content, even though I'm also probably as vocal as why everyone else doesn't like Netflix. No other company or streaming service is doing something like We Lost Our Human. It's Usually like, oh, here's a, a comedy special or a drama series or an animated show. No one's done interactive specials yet, like how Netflix has done it. And yes, it was a little clunky when it started out, but we're at that point where the experience of playing them is a lot more satisfying. I agree with that. And if this is the last time that we get a interactive special from Netflix... I would say they ended this trend on a high note. Highly recommend trying out this special. And there's a reason why a lot of people on my timeline have been 
very vocal about supporting it. And yeah, there's a reason why. Just give it a watch. Give it a try. It's very creative and very, very funny. And Io and Ben are a great like force that's pushing you forward throughout the whole special. Definitely give this one a try because I'm sure you will fall head over heels for it like we did. And that'll be it for this week. Next time we will be doing another little catch-up episode before we dive into April, which is finally giving us an animated film to check out in theaters, which is, as a major one, I mean, I'm glad. (laughs) Yep. We'll have to let y'all know if there's other things to check out. But until then, Cameron, where can everyone find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Hive at Cam's Eye View. I have my own website called camsiview.biz where I review animated films and shows from around the world called The Other Side of Animation. And I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash camsiview. That's where you can find me. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at RenPopCulture. You can also find us on YouTube, on Podchaser. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash renegadepopculture. You can also listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. Need an escape? So do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.